I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Liam Haber. And we love to watch. We love to watch. Welcomes back Crumholtz. Crumholes on before, uh, notably when we did the Santa Claus trilogy. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I forgot that's baby Crumholes, and now we have like when when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon. <laughs> what's, what's that stage? The uh, poopa chrysalis. Yeah, pup chrysalis. Yeah, cr- the chrysalis stage of Crumholes, and then he emerges as a adult Crumholes <laughs> in uh, numbers. I will say, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast, we pick a theme, we do movies over the course of a month around that theme, and if we remember, we compare and contrast, and we are wrapping up, and we are wrapping up Fancy High School, the month where we do high school movies based on classic literature, and we're ending with, with the big boy, Bill Shakespeare, who, as this movie rightfully points out, if he was alive today, he would have been a rapper. Um, and, uh, it's my, it's my favorite part of the movie. Um, when, <laughs> when they rap Bill Shakespeare. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, which is based on The Taming of the Shrew, a Shakespeare play that I've not read. Uh, I have read a few, not that one. Uh, but I could probably piece together the plot from this movie, because this actually feels like it follows it relatively closely or has all, like, you can see the Shakespearean stuff working in a way that I don't think you saw as much in some of the other very loose adaptations, uh, that we talked about, uh, yeah, this month, but- Cl- Clueless had the character of Emma, but it, the plot was, you know, a little bit from the first third of the book, and then it kind of it kind of deviates um, from what I could. I mean, tell. and we we talked about that he, she had written the movie and said, "Oh, this kind of reminds me of Emma. Maybe I'll incorporate some more stuff into it." And Easy A is definitely somewhat like it, but it's also a movie that's calling out. Like it, it's less of an adaptation, but more of a I don't know. A, it's it's using it as a reference point. It's like in um, uh, a couple months ago we did, uh, not a couple months ago, excuse me, four months ago, we did Groundhog Day Month. And in um, Happy Death Day movies, they reference uh, Groundhog Day yeah. and Back to the Future and like the movies that, that, that they're directly riffing on. Yeah. And so this this is a movie that, again, I have not read this particular play. Um, but I've read enough Shakespeare to like recognize like, oh yeah, these are, these archetypes are very classic, like Shakespearean actors in these like little moments where there, there's a lot of side characters, there's main characters, there's the, the good characters. And of course, um, various degrees of lovers who in their comedies tend to end up together and the tragedies end up usually not. And we are joined by returning guests who joined us last May or last June, sorry. Uh, so it's been about, yeah, it's been almost a year since you've been on the show, uh, Liam Haber. Liam, welcome back on our show. I'm so happy to be back. 
the uh, if our audience missed your first appearance, which shame on you, it's a great episode, <laughs> monster, go listen to it. Uh, Liam, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? And also, uh, why did you want to come on and talk about 10 Things I Hate About You? Sure. Uh, so I'm Liam Haber. I'm currently, uh, well, I'm like between jobs in the movie world because, you know, the world's kind of at a standstill and we're recording this because of that whole coronavirus <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, that whole deal. Yeah, you hopefully know. will be solved by the time you listen to this, or will be uh, much, much worse. Yeah, wouldn't we that be cool? Two if, months ahead. Wouldn't that be cool if we're dating ourselves right now, and it's like, oh my god, I remember the coronavirus when we listened to this at the end of May. Yeah. Instead of like, oh my god, they were so naive to think that like a podcast would be like I'm fully expecting the world to descend into like. Mad Max style chaos. <laughs> Why aren't they just in the toilet flushing the toilet all the time? <laughs> yeah, they're still releasing podcasts. There's no electricity. Shouldn't they be like talking about the fact that there's running water? Yeah. <laughs> It'll be nice though because if they're if it does get to Mad Max level, uh, all of our shame for having wasted our final days will be buried because there'll be no more podcasts. And listen to it. <laughs> Um, I certainly will just probably still be like, the world's going to be over. And I'll be like, yeah, but remember that movie with Julia Stiles? <laughs> I'll be bringing kids the story of 10 things I hate about you 10 years, like 100 years from now. The same way that like this makes Shakespeare cool. I'll be like, yeah, but you know who was a real artist? Director Gil Younger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got 10 things I hate about you, a Morton Joe. Uh, I I hate the way you control my water (laughs) I hate the way you drive the war rig (laughs) But what I hate most of all Is that I don't hate you at all Also please give me more gasoline Just just an ounce more gasoline (laughs) And also could you stop taking my babies (laughs) It's a real downer. <laughs> yes, P.S. Don't take my babies. Don't take my babies. I want you to let me keep my baby. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of spoiled the movie a little bit. Sorry, everyone. Um, yes, yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, there are ten actually, things. Yeah, there's ten things. Uh, I, not three or whatever I came up with. Um, and so- she doesn't actually hate him because it's Heath Ledger. I uh the this may blow your mind but the fa- that the poem that she reads at the end I didn't realize those were the 10 things that she hates. I thought this was a nonsense title cuz I didn't want to call it The Taming of the Shrew, which is not a great name for a movie. Uh so thank you for connecting that, especially because the guy that directed this movie, didn't he try to make a sequel to it at some point that was oh that's was called 10 Things I Hate About Life. Not with any of the same cast. It was the rare movie that shot some and then was canceled mid-shoot. It'll never get released. And I just thought maybe he likes the idea of starting a movie with ten things about something. But now I feel dumb because there is a part in this movie where the ten things are specifically laid out. So thank you, guys. You're also ignoring that this is a prequel to Eight Simple Rules to Dating My Teenage Daughter. (laughs) does seem like it got a little bit of DNA from this movie. <laughs> just to, I was just going to say, like, I have read the play, and I've also been in Kiss Me, Kate, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but that's the musical adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew in which they put on a production of The Taming of the Shrew. 
Interesting. Yeah, so that was like a good high school musical moment um, where I did not sing or dance because I cannot sing or dance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to hope that one of us had read it. Like, because I am a little interested. I did a ton of research on the movie itself, uh, and specifically which actors had uh, formed cults and which ones didn't after this movie. <laughs> Can't wait to get into that. Uh, but uh, I totally forgot to actually research the source material, which I guess we haven't really talked about source material too much. It was just an excuse to do a bunch of these fun movies. But I am interested, like, if my, like, nose assuming kind of, like, sniffing out that this feels actually relatively close to probably the characters and the dynamics of the play, if that's accurate. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty close to form, especially in terms of, like, how the characters map onto one another. I mean, there's no Gabrielle Union character, really, and... The, they really flesh out the sisters, suitors, characters, and also the dad is not uh, Christopher Guest regular. Um, <laughs> that seems like a mistake on William Shakespeare's part, though. He's got a good troop. Yeah, but he he doesn't have he doesn't have a was it Larry Miller right? Yeah, Larry Miller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Larry Miller is uh, finds a way to make a annoying comic archetype like a stereotype that's incredibly annoying which is the <clears throat> the grumpy ivory tower rapunzel dad who's gonna uh lock his daughters up and they're never allowed to talk to boys and yada yada um that sort of archetype is very annoying in movies um he makes it very funny but he makes he's it so super good. funny and the way he hits the comedic notes where he's seeming to burn his daughters for even wanting to consider rebelling is so good like he takes a, a very like regressive and caustic character and somehow makes him funny when it's it should be offensive by modern standards and then at the end when he finally takes a corner and he like softens um it's really heartwarming and this is to date the only time i've ever seen this trope deployed where i'm not, I, I don't find it incredibly exhausting yeah he's really good in it and i think part of it is that like his the the reason why he is like this is because of two not not funny in their own right like that his uh the mom left 3 years before the, this movie um and then secondary that he's a he delivers babies for a living and like somehow those two things has made him completely insane. <laughs> crossed like they crossed in the night, like tr raising two two girls, and then um, I'm calling it a baby deliverer, and I don't think that is the the technical doctor name. You have presumably met a few of these quote unquote baby deliverers. I have. Uh, I'm, uh, they're not Please don't tell him. I really just want this to just be the baby deliverer. Are, are they OBGYNs? Like, I know that's a thing, but is that who delivered? I mean... That would be, what? yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. So he's an OBGYN. Or a maternity um, ward doctor. Yeah, because they have those. Like they're that. just the rotating baby yeah. delivery ears. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd say baby doctor, yeah. but that would be confusing. People would assume it's some sort of uh, extreme Doogie Hauser reboot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to go with a spinoff to Baby Driver. 
<laughs> or yeah. boss baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess of the of the three of us, I'm the only one that's been in the delivery room twice. But you know what? You got other things to focus on. I can't learn the names of that person's job. Yeah, um. and also I don't tend to just show up in delivery rooms. It's not something I make. Oh yeah, I wasn't of. there for either of my kids' birth. These are these are unrelated incidents. <laughs> Rec- recreational, pers- recreational yeah, it's- sort of. One was a New Year's resolution type thing, you know, in 2000. It was new millennium, time to really try some new things. And mm-hmm. one was just, literally, I thought it was a bar. It was a little mishap. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Not a bar. I think that's a, a bar. that's a 30 Rock joke where Tracy is in a maternity, or he's in a delivery room while his wife is giving birth, but it's not his wife's delivery room. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that sounds, I think that it sounds is. right. I think it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, Larry, Larry Miller's really good. And I also like so we I think we kind of saved the best for last. And that's that's even even I love Easy A, I love Clueless. I think this movie um uh, so I saw it when it came out. I saw it with a bunch of friends. And I saw it at that age. This came out in 1999, so I was 15, 14 maybe. I was at that perfect age where this type of movie was exactly what I avoided and I made fun of with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was a romance movie. And who cares about a romance movie? Even a romantic comedy, whatever else. It was just not something that interested me. I was in plays, and so I had a bunch of theater friends who would constantly rent movies. And uh, so we rented this one one night after rehearsal or whatever else it was. And... Um, you know, 20 people in people's basement watching a movie may be familiar to some of you, uh, either listening around this podcast. And they picked out 10 Things They Hate About You, which was definitely not my pick. I was probably like, let's watch The Matrix or Office Space or other 1999 movies. And uh, I watched it and I loved it. And I'm really happy that this is that movie for me that caught me early enough for me to kind of immediately go oh shit am i wrong (laughs) are these movies good because then i kind of got rid of that prejudice against this particular film genre and ended up uh constantly watching them some that were great like um uh like a like a clueless although i already seen that or like a what's another one that came out in this era that i liked i'm trying to remember (laughs) i saw them all uh drive me crazy simply like all the ones that everyone's forgotten can't hardly wait can't hardly wait. It's a great one. That's a really good example. So, yeah, like I can't hardly wait, which I love. Um, and then I watched all the ones that I, you know, were not that good, like Drive Me Crazy. But like in the same way that like a shitty action movie can, like once you kind of understand the genre, there's pleasures to be to be gained from just watching a formula play out, or like at least like and turn off your brain on that and formula dr- and yeah, subverting it. Yeah, and sometimes seeing actors that you like and other things. Like, I, I feel like this movie is responsible for me being slightly less unsu- insufferable than I would have been in high school. <laughs> uh, because I saw it and I'm like, oh, never mind. I'm an idiot. These movies can be good. And loved this movie. Uh, and I, But it's probably been like, I, I'm sure I saw it a few more times in high school. I know I saw it a couple times in college. But it's probably been like 15 years. And I'm really happy that it held up as well as it did except that when i was in high school i was a little bit more into the joseph gordon levitt um bianca romance like more invested in that than i was the heath ledger julia styles and 
watching it now, it's kind of amazing how much Cameron and Bianca were kind of nothings and how how good the chemistry between Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a two, there's two comparative moments and they're they're intentionally mirrored in the movie where um, after getting frustrated with uh, Bianca, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character basically vents to her and he's like, I've been working so hard for you to date me. And then she kisses yeah. <laughs> him and rewards him uh, in a true incel fantasy. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> and then I was thinking Heath Ledger, he's played the whole movie as being this bad boy. He's going to try and take advantage of a drunk girl. And then she tries to kiss him and he's like, yeah, that's not that's not my deal. I, I drove you home. I stayed sober and drove you home, which is the inverse of what we thought was going to happen. Um, and uh, she gets mad at him for it. He's like, well, that's, that's kind of the, that's sorry, which is something that I remember happening in college at multiple points, like someone trying to hook up with me or thinking I was cute and me being like, you are way too drunk for this. I am sorry. This is not happening. Um, and like that moment where they're mad at you but you did the right thing and you're just like, well, I, I don't, how am I supposed to feel bad? Also? I don't know what I'm <laughs> supposed to do here. Yeah. Am I allowed to pat myself on the back? I really don't think so. You're yelling. Um, <laughs> um, but that, that moment I was really, I identified way more with the Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles thing. Yeah. Um, because I was like, not only cause they're a little bit older and, and, and more mature, but also because, um, yeah, like I was like, oh, Heath Ledger is treating her very gently and is like playing with her and playing a sort of game where it's like he, he feels less manipulative than um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt does. <laughs> yeah, and I think as a kid or as like the, when I was basically the cage, the age of the characters, um, I think I probably the cage re- of the character when I, was, <laughs> when I was in their cage. Yeah, I mean, um, age of teenage adolescent bodies are basically prisons so i think that's fair <laughs> they're uh, prisons but they're prisons where you just keep getting bigger like an akira monster <laughs> but the cell just stays the same size uh can you please explain to me how to work this toilet <laughs> <laughs> like you're growing at 10 inches a day and this, yeah. the cell is growing at a half a centimeter a day mom can i get a new cell no <laughs> uh but yeah, I I think just because it's it's easier at an age when you aren't especially like really haven't gotten to that point where you have your f- first like real uh, boyfriend girlfriend or relationship or whatever else it is. I think it's easier to identify as the person pining for someone a little bit that might be uh, that you that you are pining without a relationship. Like it's not like your friends are like, is this something more? Like as you grow up and like actually figure out how like relate good relationships form as opposed to like she looks nice or they look nice or he looks nice like i want to date them how do i make that happen like i think that's a relatable position for a 14 or 15 mm-hmm. year old where as a 35 year old man it's like oh yeah you're kind of just a creepy kind of a little bit of a creepy incel dude <laughs> um <laughs> and as an adult you should have have emotionally matured to the point where and there's points in the movie where it doesn't seem like it's going to work out for heath ledger and i mean if you know the movie's formula you know it's going to work out but you know what i mean um yeah. if this were real life there were many chances for him to fail and uh there, when that happens that actually makes it more relatable as an adult because as an adult you're like well when you're a mature adult you're like well here's who i am yeah i hope you i hope you like it also because i like you mm-hmm. um whereas when you're a kid you're like no but I, I like you so much which means you have to like me also right 
But also, yeah. But also, I'm a nice guy, and that guy's a jerk. So based on how I've how I've established worth, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but without without getting too deep into that, I do think it's like fine because it's like all part. Of, the movie is it finds uh, this whole hunt for manipulating women rather pathetic, and in in a way that like um, the the material would not necessarily lend itself to. Um, yeah. And so when that happens, like, yeah, he gets rewarded for it, which is, you know, shitty from a modern perspective. But also he's like 15 and it's supposed to be a sign of his complete fucking brainlessness about how this stuff works. Um, And and then we have the Heath Ledger stuff to kind of balance it out. Liam, when did you see this movie for the first time? Yeah, well, I did not see it in theater because I was uh, two. Um, (laughs) You didn't have Alamo for all yet? (laughs) No. Though I did, it's kind of funny that uh, you brought up The Matrix as a different movie. They came out the exact, I looked it up, they came out the exact same day. Oh! This and The Matrix were, like, competing for teenagers. It's amazing counter-programming, because I would have seen both if I were, you know, theater age. Oh, yeah, I would have, if if it was 20 years later, I would have to, like, flip a coin and say, oh, damn it, it's two things that are just exactly what i want out of movies um but i saw it uh i was probably pre-teenish uh when i was about 11 or 12 years old um and i know that because it was right around when the tv show premiered because there was a very weird tv adaptation of the movie that i think the world has unilaterally forgotten um, or were never aware of. Yeah, if I w- if I am the world. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh it ran from whatever two thousand and nine to two thousand ten. Uh, thus connecting this movie even more with other other movies we've watched this month. Like she's all that and clueless that also had their own TV shows that uh, did not survive. No, yeah, this is a very much a oh you were on for a week and you starred people from a different kids show that i recognized and then well that's because at most you can only do like 10 episodes right like what's what's episode 11 (laughs) something i like about you not interested (laughs) (laughs) i I do wonder like was it just it's probably like a 20 episode half hour sitcom i don't know if it was studio audience or whatever but i could just imagine like the eye rolling because the only thing i remember is that it's like in terms of cast that matters in the real world Um, Because I did look it up. The Cameron character, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is played by Cousin Greg from Succession. (laughs) That's that's amazing. Um, All right, everyone, stop recording. We've got to go watch it every (laughs) episode. Well, hold on. Actually, I just pulled this up. I think the most amazing part is that Larry Miller still played the And that was what I was going to say is the second. They brought him. Just when they thought he was out, they pulled him back in to play the same character. A decade later. A long later. time later. A decade that's later. Amazing. The person that's playing Spock on Star Trek Discovery right now plays the Heath Ledger character. That was the only other thing that I could be like, oh, I guess you're a person. Oh my <laughs> gosh. That's um, amazing. Do they have an Andrew Keegan? Who, who's the Keegs? Oh, I, I looked it up. I could pull it back up, but it was just, I'm pretty sure that once you get that far into the cast list, you're like, Eh, who could be in five I honestly seconds. don't see a Keegs in main, jo- uh, main Joey, Chris Zilka. Let's but he's a recurring he's, character. No, he's a... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Zilka is... Oh my uh, god, it's the leftovers. Matt from Leftovers. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit, that's a real... That's like a real actor. 
Yeah, and then he was Flash Thompson in the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Or as I know him as, um, a character in Shark Knight. I'm looking at this. Yeah, not Matt on Leftovers. His name was Tom. Matt was a different character. You don't know him as Blake Hammond from Shark Knight? (laughs) So what's amazing is that, so this ran for a couple seasons, and what's amazing is that uh, Gil Younger, Gil Younger is primarily, we, we we talked briefly about him earlier, Gil Younger is primarily a TV guy. Um, he hasn't directed very many movies at all. Um, none are really worth talking about except for 10 Things I Hate About You. Like, he directed Black Knight, which is literally like the movies Oof. that Tracy Morgan on 30 Rock was referencing. <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's so bad. <laughs> I have seen that movie, too. It is. So it's it's really bad. And Gil Younger did not particularly touch on uh, a lot of amazing shows. He, he directed... 13 episodes of According to Jim. Um, when 10 Things I Hate About You came out, he directed 12 episodes. So it seems like he he was kind of brought in in season two to help out. Um, and a lot of like here and there. But the one notable, the most notable thing that he did was he directed about a third of the run of Ellen. Ellen got to syndication length. I think it's like 108 episodes. Um, and uh, he directed 30, or excuse me, 29 episodes. And he directed a little episode called The Puppy Episode, mm. which was a code name for Ellen's big coming out episode. So he directed that and then a bunch of episodes after that. Um, there's one called It's a Gay, 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 uh, Gay World. Uh, and so he, he yeah, he, he uh, stuck around after he stuck around after that show got a, a beating from you know, the most boring people in America. Um, so that, and that's kind of the most interesting part of his career is this movie and having directed the, um, yeah. the, the, the episode, episode of Ellen and the episode that kind of like from a very successful sitcom, like Ellen was huge. People don't talk yeah. about it as much now that she's just like grown beyond that, that that was the moment where Ellen's um, gayness like became front and center and it became part of the conversation and it like kicked off a whole other uh, conversation in the culture about like what is depiction on television? What is worthwhile depiction? Is it even worth humoring these dumbass conservatives? Spoiler, it's not. Um, (laughs) What's the best way to, you know, convert people to the idea that certain people are people um, so those are that's so those are two really interesting flashpoints. One of the most ninety movies, nineties movies of all time, and then the episode of Ellen, the the Ellen episode that people actually remember. I do wonder though. So he directed like thirty three percent of Ellen, which is mm-hmm. I think a, it's fair to give him that percentage. He did thirty three percent of Ellen. What percentage do you think he is responsible for? Ellen hanging out with noted war criminal George (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do want to say, like, I made a joke about it before, but I just looked it up. Gil Younger directed the pilot for Eight Simple Rules. So I think I'm just going to cash out my chips right now. (laughs) (laughs) This giant, this giant segue came in the middle of Liam telling us, like, what his history with this movie was. So let's pick back up there. Sure, right. Oh, yeah. Um... Anyway, I saw the movie. <laughs> no, uh, I saw it in like middle schoolish time, um, and it was a formative movie where I basically built my personality personality around this movie for like a few weeks afterwards. Which character? Uh, everyone. I was just like, oh, like, <laughs> can I be them all? You know, Letterbox doesn't go all the way back into my infancy, but I wish that I could pull it up and be like, okay, so I saw this, and then I watched every Bourne movie again. 
And then I watched like six random episodes on TV land of Third Rock from the Sun. And then I watched uh, The Brothers Grimm. And basically I was just like, yes, all of these people are the best actors in the world. They're all worth getting excited yeah. about, no matter where they are. They're they're bigger than the failures of the movie. These are iconoclasts, yada. Like that. That's yeah. an exciting time to be to be in high school, where you're just like these. These are my people. <laughs> it's good to be alive because I'm alive at the same time as Matt Damon. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but then like I just went back. I probably have rewatched this every few years. Like I'll stumble. It's such a good like Saturday afternoon scrolling scrolling through TV kind of movie, which is probably how I've seen it more than any. Like, I don't even know if back then I saw it start to finish. It was more just like, oh, I guess this is half an hour in and it's a movie that like my babysitter would recommend. It's yeah. so ple- it's it's I mean it's on Disney Plus. Uh yeah. after the recent revelation that they covered up a button splash. I don't know if the version I watched is a hundred percent the uh real version, but um the uh it's it's a fairly it's a fairly clean movie. Uh there's one sequence of Julia Stiles uh dancing drunkenly on a table. Um but other than that, like it's pretty it's pretty clean and it is similar to other movies we've talked about this month. It feels like it's it's as much for high school kids, if not more, it's for junior high kids who are sort of trying to, they're going through the beginning throes of adolescence and they're trying to figure out what the hell this big adventure is going to be. Um, so like, yeah, like, so, this, like I watched this movie in Clueless a million times in grade school, but I don't think I watched it at all when I was in high school. Yeah, like I was... I was right there in high school when this movie came out. So this was like a high school movie when I'm in high school. So I haven't like, I I think that makes sense. Why me as a 15 year old, like primarily was rooting for Joseph Gordon Levitt. Um, Also, I want to kind of talk about this a little bit. Like I was a huge fan of third rock from the sun, which was also contemporary. (laughs) We got to talk about third rock and the fact, and it was so weird seeing this because uh, Lena, I have no idea how to say her last name. And I'm very, very sorry. Um, but, uh, Lena, Dunham? <laughs> no, uh, Oli- I think it's Olinick who played uh, Bianca. Oliniac? Oliniac? No, I don't think it, there's, it's N-I-K, so I don't think it's Yak, but. Oliniac? Oliniac? Yeah. Um, I had such she, a crush on her. I had a crush on her too, but she was his girlfriend in Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, yeah. My, so it was, it was so weird to see this too. movie and you're kind of like, huh. Yeah. Are they actually dating or like we need to be in movies to get like what show do you think it's like if um Jennifer Aniston in her first like big screen movie David Schwimmer is her, <laughs> her romantically and you're like what? Yeah. <laughs> Why are they in a movie together playing romantic interests? Like it doesn't make any sense. I've watched them for 5 years date on this show or whatever else. So it it was super weird. Um she was on 21 episodes out of 139. Yeah. Uh, so she was on a decent decent length of the run. His consistent girlfriend from like once he starts uh from like season 2 till whenever he leaves the show uh in the last season <laughs> and decides to go uh to go travel the world or travel the countryside or whatever um before he comes back for the finale as they all did. Whenever he decides to go have a successful career as, like, the indie darling of the, like, the Sundance darling of the early 2000s. 
Are you guys ready to talk about, to learn one by one, all of the things that I hate about you? No, don't don't say it that about me. Sounds a little apprehensive. Oh, sorry. I'm talking about the movie. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, movie yeah, yeah. From so, so, okay. I'll, you're going to learn, we're going to talk about the things about, in quotes, 10 things I hate about you. Yeah, I'm going to tell you all the things which just happen to add up to 10 during the course of us talking about the movie of things I hate about you. Still makes it sound like you hate me, but okay. Yeah, still is, okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we? I would like to talk about the movie Ten Things I Hate About You. I think you guys think that because it, maybe it's a Skype, like a, it's bleeping and blooping, maybe. But maybe. to be clear, we are going to talk about a movie from 1999 about the Ten Things I, Aaron Armstrong, <laughs> about you, Peter Moran. <laughs> Liam was two at the time. And, like I was at least seven. <laughs> oh, why did you not get this? <laughs> Feels so clear. Okay, I, Aaron Armstrong, born in Portland, Oregon, April thirtieth, nineteen eighty three. I'm gonna talk about the ten things I hate about Peter Moran, born in I don't know, probably Chicago. I'm, I'm guessing nineteen ninety. Yeah, Chicago, the Big Apple. Well, you're not thirty. Nineteen ninety two. Ninety one. Okay, nineteen ninety one. Uh, about you. <laughs> Just leave me out of it. As long as I'm okay with that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, Liam. (laughs) You're like our letters to Cleo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm nothing but effervescent love. I'm pitting you two against each other because unless you guys, if you guys break up this podcast, then I can start my own podcast. It's kind of a whole deal I have with your respective parents. It's a whole thing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, most people don't know this about podcasts, but it's one in, one out. <laughs> and we were the last movie podcast to we exist. We were the last movie podcast that got the, the seal of approval from the podcast emporium. Yeah. Uh, Steve Jobs get. died the day after he sent us our, our certificate. Yeah, he was falling <laughs> over dead with the stamp, and we like put the paper underneath it as he like, I'm yeah. dying. He was, And he was like, do Dark City. Uh, it's okay to make fun of steve jobs because he's a monster are we making fun of him i think we're just quoting his final words (laughs) yeah but he was making fun of us when he said him oh yeah yeah. it was sarcastic he was like dude dark city you idiots he was just trying Uh, to destroy us but we destroyed him yeah uh yeah let's talk about this movie (laughs) (laughs) yes are we gonna clarify that we didn't kill steve jobs at any point (laughs) At any point, there's still a whole future ahead of us, Peter. <laughs> oh, I can't take another heartache. Though you say you're my friend, I'm at my wit's end. You say your love is bonfire, but that don't coincide with the things that you do. And when I ask you to be nice, you say you gotta be cool to be kind in the right measure. Cool to be Alternate taglines. Alternate taglines. Uh, wow. The thing that I love doing and people love to listen to. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to edit you out saying that and say that uh, I love it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just, I love it. <laughs> that's, that's what it's going to sound like. I love it. I love the alternate taglines. <laughs> I love alternate taglines. <laughs> The thing I love, alternate taglines. 
10 things I love about alternate taglines. 10 things I love about alternate taglines. Don't, don't shit. Don't say shit like that. People can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, taming. Like the actual tagline has to be like taming of the shrew in Seattle. Right. It's, it's, there's no way it's actually the tagline of the movie. Yeah. What is it? Oh, I could go on a rant about it. Cause it makes me angry. What is the real tagline? How, how do I, I loathe <laughs> the let me count the ways, which is a reference to a poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, not by Shakespeare. They're just like uh, all the English major shit. That's all the same, right? Yeah, and I'm an English major shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the, the way that they're like, hmm, how do we show someone who is uh, a feminist? Uh reads the bell jar and listens to bikini kill we got it right <laughs> yeah that's it check and check <laughs> yeah so this movie is an adaptation of taming of the shrew which i have not read so uh but it is trust me uh and it uh, do you think they wanted out- to call this movie shrew there it is no i don't think they did me neither i don't <laughs> think that's a good idea uh, I think they they wanted to call it tame, but it it was a reference specifically to uh, the Pixie song. Oh yeah, well that would have fit nicely. I mean, weren't I think Pixies were a Pacific Northwest band, right? Seattle area. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, Boston. Sorry, I'm saying yeah because I'm not listening to you, but I actually know they're from Boston. Oh okay. I think I was just assuming that they, you know, because they no, got so in, much from Nirvana and Mudhoney yeah, and but shit. But, I assumed they the were thing Pacific is, Northwest is folks. Wrong. No, I know, but you're wrong. That's what I'm saying. Uh, just factually. Okay. You can cut that out, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if this is a bit. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> um, but uh, so it stars. This is actually the uh, the second movie this month where a new character starts or a new person comes to the school and they open it by introducing everyone at the school. This is actually like they do this in Mean Girls, too, where like there's someone in charge of giving a tour. Uh, oh, not another teen movie. I guess they do it as well. Um, yeah with yeah. uh with uh ted mosby or whatever the fuck his name is yes yes, like yes just the orientation guy and they all got off the same bus that day as well but they do it in clueless right because Cher walks around and, and shows all the different peer groups to Brittany murphy yep to Brittany murphy and they do it here and they do it in a movie we didn't cover mean girls uh but I mean, they, they also they do it in prison movies too like it's the way it's a great way to <laughs> you're, you're right you're it's right a great like, way to introduce those are the nazis to... yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do oz and clueless have in common <laughs> it's a great way to introduce you to the world is yeah. as a new fish because uh nobody would be like as you know uh those are you know <laughs> As you know, that's uh, Joey, and he's a model, uh, as you already know and are aware of. Like, people already would know that information. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's nice to have, like, orientation moments. Like, Matrix wouldn't, also, Matrix wouldn't work if Neo was already three or four years into, you know, being awoken. Um, he has to get woken up and then go through his orientation, get his paperwork. He has to get introduced to everyone. Mouse. His name's a pun. Yep, it also wouldn't work if he was in prison, because how does he escape to go meet the Matrix folks? Not that useful as a hacker. Not that useful. So anyways, two, two, but you get two for the price of one. You got Cameron, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Patrick, both starting school on the same day. Um, And only one gets a tour, because uh, only one is uh, friendly to other people at the beginning. Uh, so Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets walked around the school by Michael, played by David Krumholz, who introduces 
who introduces uh, him to everyone, and also then uh, where he sees Bianca, and he's like, "I'm I'm assuming in very Shakespearean, it's like I must ha- I pine for her, her soul." But he's immediately infatuated with her, and Michael's like, "Sorry, she doesn't date." Um, another person at school is infatuated, which with Bianca, who is Joey, who's the worst. Played by Andrew Keegan, who is also the worst, as we found it. We'll talk about probably at some point in this episode. He's a model, and he is very attractive, and he also wants to date Bianca. Bianca has an older sister, played by Julia Stiles, named, why am I blanking on that name? Uh, Kat. Kat Stratford. And uh, she uh, hates everyone. She, you can tell because she <laughs> listens to Joan Jett's bad reputation, ruining the remix of Bare Naked Ladies we hear. People just having a good time, too, when the movie opens. And eventually, so eventually the rule in their house is that uh, their dad says, you can't date till you graduated. But seeing that Kat has no interest in dating or high school or, or making friends or anything. I guess she does have one friend. He's like, you know what? Fine, I'll be fair. As soon as Kat decides to date, you can date. So that then sets up a series of, oh, how do we get Kat to date? But from Joey and Cameron's perspective, so that we can date Bianca. They bribe uh, Heath Ledger's character, Patrick, to take, because he's the only one tough enough to to risk this, uh, uh, I guess, psychotic (laughs) person that everyone's scared of to ask her on a date. But they don't have any money to bribe. Uh, They don't have any money to bribe Patrick to do it. So they tell Joey what their plan is, which is to get Kat to date in order because he's a rich model asshole to back to back them. I will side note here uh, when he finally offers the money to Heath Ledger to Patrick, he offers 20 bucks and and then and then uh, Patrick's like, make it 30 crumholes, Levitt, like you couldn't have scraped together 30 bucks. Like I was, like you're you're in high school. Like you haven't had a paper route. You haven't saved any money. Like I was expecting like five hundred dollars or something high. Thirty seemed like a little too low to have to to have to enlist, enlist the rich asshole. <laughs> I mean, it's nineteen ninety nine. I get it's like dot com boom and money's worth more or something. But I mean, yeah. I mean, I made minimum wage in high school that's like that's six hours it's not even a full shift <laughs> that is that is something that the movie finds um the, the the movie uh it seems cumbersome at the beginning where they have to figure out a way to get all these these disparate parties to you know interact and they need a they need a sort of uh, plot to hinge on and it's largely it's it's a simple rom-com thing where it's like we need something to go wrong in the second it feels video. very shakespearean yeah too. like this it does like uh, you yeah all these different players I, like that's when i said like you can even though i hadn't read it i can feel the shakespeare kind of exuding from the characters this is like classic like you know michael's the person who's like the doesn't necessarily have a, a romantic fulfillment of his own, but he's trying to help the new handsome prince or, you know, you know how it works. Shakespeare, dude. Yeah. But I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like a rapper. Yeah. So it's just it, the fact that it is a Shakespeare thing adds to like the weird plottiness of the first act, um, which is it, it, I don't think is a bad thing, but it's just interesting for this kind of movie. They're usually so loose and usually the plot is established by Paul Walker being like, hey, dude, Making you bets. should bang her. <laughs> are, you, are you telling me do you think you're the coolest guy when she broke up with you I'm gonna go have a cigarette 
on school grounds. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird fucking movie. Anyway, so essentially what ends up happening is that uh, Patrick starts to actually uh, to pursue Kat. And Kat is uh, interested that someone is so uh, pursuant. And Patrick starts to kind of like her, like, pretty immediately. They go to this party, and that's when you kind of feel like, realize that Bianca, while Cameron thought that uh, he was he was pulling all the strings to get Bianca to date him and was the mastermind, you find out that Bianca actually has been kind of manipulating Cameron and everyone else to get Kat to date because she wanted to date Joey. When she finally gets that opportunity at this party, she realizes that Joey sucks. That's when Cameron has this, like, see, you could have had a nice guy. And you 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 messed up, and then and then yeah, Bianca kisses him. Uh, whereas where Cat shut gets, the fuck up, yeah, shut the fuck up, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I'm gonna I put my tongue in your mouth. You can't talk. So uh, so then you basically have that's when the Peter I think already mentioned if it didn't get edited out the whole thing about because I don't know what we're talking about in context there. Uh, <laughs> Bianca gets drunk at the party like oh this is what people want to do at parties right because she hates Joey. You find out later it's because they had slept. Cat gets drunk at the party. Yeah, Kat gets drunk at the party. You find out that yeah, she really, because Joey's there and being an asshole to her, and you find out that Joey and her uh, dated, uh, that they slept together, and then when she was uncomfortable because she was 15, Joey uh, basically uh, was a huge dick to her, which has kind of made her why she's uh, untrustworthy of other people, especially the concept of dating high school uh, boys. Uh, Bianca then is eventually uh, now likes now likes Cameron, um, but they need to kind of figure out how to get to prom together because Kat uh, hates Patrick because of the party incident where she wanted to make out with him. And he's like, no, dude, I'm sober. We're going to hang out in these swings and I'm going to take care of you while she kind of embarrassed herself. So he kind of rewins her over with uh, a great scene where he sings uh, Can't Take My Eyes Off You by Frankie Valley. They go on another date where she's suspicious about how much he wants to go to prom, and he and he really wants to go to prom because Joey is still trying to bribe uh, Patrick, not realizing that Bianca has moved on. Anyways, they get to prom. Cat uh, finds out that Patrick has uh, been getting paid to go on dates, and Patrick's like, "Yeah, sure, he's paying for my dates. That was good for money." Because I don't have a job that I'm that we've seen in the movie, but I actually really like you. And a cool thing I did is here's letters to Cleo, your favorite band uh, that came to play. And so yeah, and then she ends up getting accepted to college. And uh, oh no, wait, they do run away from the prom, and and she's like, you you broke my heart by lying to me. Uh, and then Bianca confronts Joey and punt beats the shit out of him, which is a very fun scene. While her and Cameron get together, and then the end of the movie is, like, uh, Patrick apologizing and, like, hey, we're good. I actually do really like you. They kiss, and then Letters to Cleo plays another song on top of the roof, which feels like probably a prank that happened at the prom, and they haven't let him out yet, which feels very, <laughs> very, a, very mean. There's an oral history of the 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 uh, the movie that I, I referenced earlier, and the piece where they... <laughs> <laughs> they they uh, interview the lead singer of uh, Letters to Cleo and uh, Gil Younger. She's like, yeah, I, it was pretty dangerous. I thought I was going to fall off the roof. And Gil Younger was like, <laughs> yeah, it was really dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, I mean, actually, so 
But all of it is like really breezy, really nice, really a lot of very funny moments as we referenced. Uh, the only one that we got a little short shift is that Crumholz is pretty present throughout the movie, and eventually he also finds uh, Mandela, who's her friend who is obsessed with Shakespeare. And uh, he asked her to prom as William Shakespeare. They actually seem like the the for the at least the duration of the movie the healthiest couple. A lot of lying in in Patrick and Kat's relationship, and a lot of incel energy in the other one. Um, so that's basically the movie. Um, it's really good. There's one thing I want to talk about very quick, and then we can get into general general comments. Uh, there is a point where you find out they're trying to figure out if you know Cat. Why Cat doesn't date, specifically Patrick and Bianca. Or not Patrick, uh, Cameron and Bianca. And they're they're throwing out stuff, and Bianca goes, no, no, no. I know she's into boys, and I know she's into pretty boys, <laughs> because she's hides pictures of a certain actor <laughs> uh, all over the place. I'll tell you what, uh, that may be the scene that doesn't hold up the best, because it's Jared Leto, who... <laughs> Was like, I mean, I know a lot of people my age uh, who had crushes on Jared Leto from uh, My So-Called Life and a couple other things like that. Um, Had 30 Seconds to Mars taken off at all? No, not 19. Like, their first album was 2001. Got it. And then he got a lot of notice for being in Fight Club as, like, dyed blonde, almost unrecognizable, too. Uh, Like, ooh, Jared Leto's in this. Um, I When I pictured... Her pulling out that picture under her mattress or whatever of Jared Leto, I couldn't help but picture in my head the like twisted Joker photo. Because <laughs> uh, she yeah, has a thing for Jokers. She's got a thing for Jokers. Uh, yeah, she likes bad boys. <laughs> it's so funny that like Jared Leto has is is a still very much in the public conscious, but B has become a different thing. A pretty boy Jared Leto, more like a uh, person who ruins movies. Jared Leto. Yeah, I remember when. But yeah, it was just a funny call out. I remember when Jared Leto was kind of good in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and I remember having a conversation with somebody about that, and then they were like, "Oh yeah, Jared Leto is in the movie," which was kind of distracting because he's so annoying. And I was like, "Yeah," like I didn't even bother having the fight. I was just like, "I was just like, yeah, let's just keep going." I'm not, I'm not standing up for Jared Leto, even though he is good in that movie. Watching this now as an adult, I really appreciate how much. Like, Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles, like, how natural their chemistry is. I don't think that's something that I really even cared about when I saw this movie initially and then kind of held up with those repeat viewings at that age. And it's not that, like, um, I didn't like Julia Stiles or I didn't like Heath Ledger, but you realize, like, especially this month, Peter, watching all these high school movies in a row, how difficult it is. Like, Bianca and Cameron kind of suck. They don't have much chemistry. I really do like the moment at the end where Bianca kicks the shit out of Joey. And that's like the one time in this movie where it's like, oh, they do. They are kind of cute together. They do have a little thing. But otherwise, it just feels nothing. And those, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's a great actor. He's a great high school actor. They had a lot of good chemistry on a show. That came out before this that I really liked. But even like Cher and Paul Rudd taking aside the stuff that they're stepsisters, like they have brother and sister <laughs> energy. They don't have romantic chemistry. You know, she's all that is like <laughs> um, a joke at how like they they have no chemistry. Easy A gets by a little bit, but their characters just kind of meet at the end, right? Like, at the end, they've been kind of friends. And so they they don't have to spend a lot of time 
on screen, like developing a relationship from you're a weirdo, get away from me. Why do you even want to date me to like believing that Heath Ledger could uh, is doing it almost immediately because there is attraction because there is he does enjoy spending time with her outside of the 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 king's ransom of thirty dollars he's getting paid. Um, <laughs> but like I realize how difficult that is, and it's something I took for granted when I initially saw this, and now you recognize like Jesus Christ, those two are really good at this. Yeah, I mean they've got. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, they've got, like, some really incredible romantic chemistry. And it's also just, like, the perfect actors suited for the perfect material at the right time. Where you can fully buy both of them. I mean, they're the right age, but you could fully buy both of them as these characters. Both of them playing into type in certain ways, but against type in others. And also just characters that you don't usually see in high school movies. Even today. Yeah. Like, as much as Heath Ledger's character is a bad boy, like, he doesn't... He He's... With the exception of the motivation being the money, he does anything to ask... Like, that character... I'm trying to think, and that's why I'm processing out loud. I feel like would have, like, done something shitty. Like, got yeah, in a party, and, like, I just made a big mistake, and... Oh shoot! I I lean too hard into my bad boy instincts, and that's causing problems. And yeah, yeah they like, tell he you, doesn't. They tell you that like there's a conversation after they play paintball, which is a very fun scene. Yeah, um, where they're going back and forth, going through the rumors about each other, and Cat says, uh, "Yeah, I never did." Um, like, they're just saying, like, so what were you missing? Why, why were you not in school for a year? Oh, I was at my grandfather in Milwaukee. Oh, how, what, what's the Australian accent? Oh, I was in Australia for 10 years. Did you really punch that guy in the balls? Yeah, because he tried to group me. So it's like all of these myths and stories that they heard about each other. And they're basically being like, yeah, no, I just leaned into the image. And we get cats version of why she does that with you know she realizes she doesn't want to play into the behavior that she can after being with joey yeah um but we never really get a great look at what drives him aside from money and love which is kind of you know two things that i could get drive people <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> yeah this movie should be called uh, for love of money or money <laughs> <laughs> 10 things i love about money and hate about you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I kind of like how it's two teddy bears that just put on an ugly face just so that they don't have to deal with people. Because, like, you know, same. That was me in high yeah. school. And I'm like, yeah. let, me not, let me not reveal that I'm actually a nice person. Instead, just kind of like, you know, recede into the darkness when I need to. Yeah, because being nice is is boring, right? And like the in uh, in high school, the idea um, that was that was put in my face very often was um, that uh, it's not even so much nice guys finish last. It's that like being just a nice person who people get along with uh, will sink you beneath the swampy loam of recognition, and you will be forgotten. Um, no one will, no one will know who you are by the end of this experience if you're just a nice person. Um, so you, you start like manufacturing personalities and going off on these, these strange winding roads. Um, 
some of them quite antisocial. <laughs> and then by the end of high school, when you're, you get robbed for a lot of people, I mean, if you're wise enough, you figure this out early on. But by the end of high school, usually people figure out, they're like, shit, I could have just like put myself into the perspective that I'm just with a bunch of other kids um, yeah. who are all just trying to figure out shit, who are all just swallowing their own anxiety every second of every day, trying to find new ways to swallow that anxiety, whatever feels good, that'll do that. Yeah, that this that the, the, this movie is actually very sweet and wholesome, despite the fact that it starts off with like a rather I don't want to say hostile entry into the high school, but like most of the characters seem like douchebags when you first meet them that aren't um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and David Crumholtz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also think one thing it gets really right about her character that high school movies don't ever talk about, unless that's the point of the movie. And especially from this era, because so much of the movies in this era were about sex in high school, right? American Pie came out the same year. Jeez, um, wow. Yeah, and like She's All That has a bunch of characters who are like having sex. And, and no one really talks about it as like a fraught with immaturity and a lot of other things that come come with it. Like Clueless, like the characters are not having sex, but like when they're ready, they have sex. And it's like, you know. It's everyone takes their own time and, you know, um, Easy A is obviously a little different where it actually takes the, the, you know, for the sake of the movie, it's really much about like how people are having sex. But if you have the wrong kind of sex, that can affect the way that school, the, the, the school sees you. And so like, that's not about like sex necessarily, but it is about like how people view people that have sex in high school. This is one of the only high school movies I can think of where it's really that again it's it's not about like how sex can impact people this age but it is it does have that component because i really do like that that concept of like cat being like hey i had sex i was probably 15 or 16 and i had sex with another 15 or 16 year old and i felt like maybe i wasn't ready and i wanted to take a step back and he didn't and that like cuz i remember that personally i my girlfriend and i we were together uh, like a year and a half in high school. Uh, I was also like, I was uh, raised with a lot of guilt about the concept of sex. Like um, I wanted to stop having sex after we had had it for a while. Cause I felt like, man, all these bike trips to confession are really taking up my time. And then like, <laughs> and then like a few months later I was a horny teenager and like, just kind of wanted to have sex again. And she's like, actually our relationship's better since we haven't had sex. And it's like, Oh shoot. Now I'm just horny thinking like, you know, and like, and then that leading to weird like fights because we were ready to have sex at different times and at different moments. And like, it was just so complicated in a way that I feel like movies don't really address. Yeah. And, and this, this is a movie where like, it's, it's not about like necessarily sexual assault or anything like that, but about like how it's very hard to talk about sex. You can't talk to like the people that you're closest with in your life at that age are your parents, which you're probably not talking about like sex your siblings who you probably don't feel comfortable at that age talking about sex with and your friends who may have very varying levels of like experience or at best case scenario have an equal amount of maturity about you like at it so you have this weird thing where you just you're having it you have no one to talk to about it you don't know how to handle especially in the concept of a relationship and i feel like because movies sometimes in casting and sometimes because they want to appeal to that age like they they treat like sex is just this like thing that high school kids do, which they do, and I you know, and it's not 
necessarily a bad thing. At some point, you have to have sex, and it's going to probably be high school or college, and you know, and it, hopefully, it's with uh, you know someone that it's a good memory uh, for you, and blah blah blah. But like, I don't remember a high school movie that treats it as kind of like fraught with landmines, even if in theory no one is like doing anything that untoward or assaulty or anything like that yeah yeah uh it's kind of a really sensitive and still i mean watching it 21 years after it came out it gets the current climate better than some movies that came out 21 months ago yeah where you know we're not seeing the uh sober guy prey on the drunk girl we're not seeing a movie that ends with people in bed together. It's, I mean, in certain ways, it kind of ends with revealing that, yeah, maybe Larry Miller was right all along. <laughs> um, I mean, he's wrong because his kids are smarter than he gives them credit for. But, you know, he's correct that it's not that like, they live the life that he's kind of hoping for, which I realized watching it this time that, like, yeah, you know, he's not doing the worst job as a parent, as a single parent who's, like, <laughs> apparently been abandoned by his wife. But, you know, he could be better. Yeah, I, I found that part, that scene, really touching and sensitive, as Liam said. Like, it is it is very gentle. Scene yeah. where uh, Kat says, basically, like, hey, I had a bad experience with this. I lost my virginity. And, and then I was like, you know what? This isn't really for me. And I was really hurt by that. And I felt really used. And... It's a really nice touch in a movie like this because I feel like the messages that I got from when I was in high school about sex was that if you have sex when you're young, you're a dirty person and that you have you will lose control of your sex life. It'll be like cocaine. There was a lot of like sex ed tied in with drug education. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. which is that which basically was like them associating and saying like there's well, a whole fucking play about it. Did you ever read Go Ask Alice? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Drugs lead to sex. Sex is worse than drugs, so don't do drugs. <laughs> and then at some point she's giving, I think she's giving, like, blowjobs for weed or something. <laughs> they cut that out of my school plays version, but I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so anyways, um, the, like, I had sex when I was 15, and it was a very weird experience because I felt like I... I was kind of so socially I was like well this I have to play catch up this is this is what you're supposed to do in high school and I'm in high school now so this is what we gotta go do and uh when it finally happened like I was surprised that I felt empty and weird afterwards yeah like and then uh it happened again and like it did I was like oh maybe it's just awkward you know nerves like I'm a nervous person maybe it was just nerves and the second time I was like yeah no it's still just it didn't feel right and then like I stopped for a long time not a long time but like a period of time um consciously because I was like I you know that's just not something I'm I'm ready for and like I actively sought out healthy relationships for a bit um Mm -hmm. And then by the end of high school, I was a monster and just uh, seeking out horniness wherever I could find it consensually. Um, but the, the 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 other thing about that that I want to note is because when I watched this movie a few years ago, I don't know, eight, ten years ago, eight years ago, something like that, I saw Joey as like I, the way you view a bear. You're like, well, yeah, it's a, he's a he's a high school jock, he's a bully, he's a hot guy, he's that combo 
So, I mean, he's not really a jock, but you know what I mean. Like, he's that archetype. Um, the popular... He models jock straps. Yeah. <laughs> so, technically, he is he is a uh, or, an ordained jock. It's like there's, when... Uh, there's, jo- there's jocular <laughs> there's jocular activities. Yes. It's it's like when uh, college gives you an honorary degree. Um, but uh, I saw him as a bear. Like, and... Uh, I mean, he's obviously a twink, but the, he is a is like a, <laughs> <laughs> but a, like a like a grizzly bear, the actual animal. Um, because because I, I saw it, it's like, well, yeah, like you don't put your arm in front of a bear's mouth; he's going to tear your arm off. But now, watching it as an adult with some better recognition of my own past. And uh, not as that character, but as my own past and the way I viewed certain people in my high school and in my own past experiences, um, I was like, oh, no, this isn't this isn't some unavoidable force of nature. You just have to watch out for these bears. (laughs) Um, He's Joey pays. Joey is a predator. Joey pays a thousand dollars to as a 18 year old or whatever to have sex with a 15 or 16 year old. For a chance to manipulate a 15 or 16 year old into sex. Um, I don't know if it's a thousand dollars, but I was adding it up over time. I was like, what's the creepy number here? <laughs> like a hundred dollars is maybe charming to like try and like maybe like a hundred dollars is maybe like, you know, like, oh, I just it just really meant a lot to, for me for you to be available so we can have this conversation. But it's, but the more he talks about it and the more money he spends and the desperation at which he spends that money, you're like, oh, no, Joey is a predator that is seeking easy targets because Joey was turned down no. at some point in his sexual journey and now he's just seeking out easy targets. He's seeking out uh, uh, soft, soft flesh to sink his fl- his teeth into. As always, whenever you talk about sex, Peter, it always concerns me how quickly you go to like how I would imagine David Cronenberg talking about sex. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think what helps. So Joey is like I said, he's definitely like a manipulating asshole, but. I do think what's interesting is that the ultimate man- manipulator here, at least for the first half of the movie, is actually Bianca. Bianca gives the idea to Cameron because she wants to date Joey. Patrick is, sorry, yeah, pa- no, Cameron is putting in the screws to get Joey to do it so that ultimately, and then Bianca Alveson realizes Joey is a jerk. She doesn't get, the, he doesn't get that message and is still paying Patrick like um, Bianca has any interest, even though like, you know, yeah, he's a he left with her friend and has not talked to her since then, just trying to get the next date. And then, of course, at the end, you find out that he just wanted to go to prom to sleep with her. At the very least, it doesn't change the fact that Joey sucks. But from a Bianca and like that character perspective, I do like that she is pulling the strings and then she's she's never not aware of what's going on when it comes to Joey or anyone else. Like, she's still making her choices. You can't see me, but I started to vigorously nod it when you were talking (laughs) about, like, like Bianca basically is, like, the master of her own destiny. Yeah. Um, If I can kind of step in with Shakespeare shit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is a really good adaptation of basically the first two-thirds of the original play, uh, The Taming of the Shrew. And it does kind of have some of the same characters. 
Cameron and Joey, basically all of their personality traits are in one character, um, which makes it someone that you really do not want to root for at all. Interesting. And yeah, and the Bianca character is given very little to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's like the one rich guy is basically saying like, oh, I want her for myself. I'll do anything in my power. And then there's other characters who also are pining after her. Um, they hire this guy, Petruccio, to date Katarina or whatever they pronounce her name as, um, which is Patrick and Kat. And basically, he is an asshole to her, holds her prison. And, and this is where the movie stops being uh, <laughs> the same. He, when he eventually does get his way, he holds her prisoner. She treats him like shit. And they have basically like a Lockhornsian marriage um, that ends with her being quote unquote tamed and uh, being much more demure as a wife than Bianca after Bianca eventually gets married. So the first half, it's there. <laughs> it's really just about what if these people fell in love yeah. um, while also kind of being manipulated into getting together so that Bianca the sister can get her way. And the Bianca character is pretty in on her own plans as well in the Interesting. play. Not so, as much as here where she's like pulling the string secretly, but like she's there doing part of the work herself. And then of course, um, in the original Shakespeare, the ending ban is called uh, correspondence to Leo. Yes. <laughs> um, it basically, yeah, you get the idea of it. Um, but yeah, so they kind of do the good job of the, the relationship between Patrick and Kat in this is the comedy relationship that's in a lot of Shakespeare's plays. Maybe the best one that people would know is Beatrice and Benedict in Much Do About Nothing, mm -hmm. which they have a very similar, like, we hate each other and we bicker constantly, but we're going to get some of the best lines out possible in that amount of time. Um... And that's, like, if you haven't read or seen a version of that, the Kenneth Branagh, uh, Emma Thompson version of those characters. Oh, or great. The, yeah. Yeah. Or the Catherine Tate and David Tennant version of those characters. Or I'm trying to think of, like, other adaptations of it. But they always cast people who have amazing romantic chemistry and also are whip-smart funny on their own right to play those characters. And I feel like that's basically... They're transmute. They're like combining the story of Taming of the Shrew with those character types in order to kind of build Patrick and Cat in this, as opposed to here are two terrible people who you're rooting against. It sympathizes them and also gives them a plot line that makes it a lot more interesting to root for their happiness at the end. So I would say that this is like a great plot representation of Taming of the Shrew, but the characters are very different, at least once you like get into the dialogue and their interactions with each other. Look, I don't want to sound like an SJW, guys, but I, <laughs> I had a sneaking suspicion that a play called The Taming of the Shrew, uh, a shrew being what I assume is a woman, and mm -hmm. taming being usually used to denote how to uh, get uh, animals to not attack you, that it may not be 
the the progressive <laughs> look at uh, at uh, romance that we were hoping for. You would be correct. <laughs> but I what what actually impresses me about this movie, though, in relation to that, that's that is very interesting to hear. Is that this movie? I don't like, with the exception of uh, uh, the almost inescapable hard R that people throw around in movies from the nineties. Yeah, um, I feel like this. I don't know, Peter. Like, I mean, Easy A is a little newer, although there's some things in there I'm not too too fond of. I feel like this is of the four movies we watched, the one that I the the least amount of like. I actually feel like it's fairly like you said. Liam, like, if this came out 21 months ago, it would feel, like, pretty progressive and on point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I think it's pretty, it's pretty with it. Um, there's some gay panicky jokes. Um, the fa- like, Heath Ledger does a lot of, like, ma- bro-masculinity stuff that, um, takes, takes some pieces of his sexy armor off. Not enough to defeat him as a warrior in the sex arena, but, uh, it does take some of it off. Like, uh, that the the line I referenced earlier when um, uh, Heath Ledger is uh, <laughs> they're 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 basically using the Shakespeare lines at Heath Ledger and uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, Heath Ledger says don't don't say shit like that to me people can hear you um, and <laughs> and then also at one point he's like I can't be seen at Club Skunk and then they show you Club Skunk and it's like a cool lesbian punk bar. Um, like that's also him being like, I'm not going to a lesbian bar. Like that, all that stuff is like low key, a little homophobic. But like, yeah. But do you notice scale. that once he gets in there, the bartender knows his name? Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. So like on the on the grand scale, I'm not like looking. Yeah, it the- felt like he was doing it to Patrick to seem like a tough guy to him. But yeah, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I caught that too. I'm not trying to like catch this movie on a technicality, right? I'm not trying to like fucking rudy giuliani this movie into uh, <laughs> uh, like oh well uh, i couldn't catch you for this but you were you did have uh three crumbs of weed in your pocket so oh i thought the technicality um, was gonna be she's my third cousin <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. rudy giuliani loves technicalities uh when he benefits from them um yeah like like when he married his cousin when he married that's a real thing it's, I, it's not my fault that he married his cousin you cousin you guys it's not my fault that rudy giuliani has for some reason for some reason, remained relevant in 2020. <laughs> the most. So dis- I have made dis- a lot of let. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's very yeah, sad. There's, there's one thing though that this movie does that I think is pretty problematic and pretty gross. Um, despite all the all the sweetness, all the sugar, I have to say about it. Um, and that's that. It does normalize Rennies in a way that I think is um, harmful to the culture. Um, Renfair people are to, be, <laughs> are to be chased down the street, um, exclusively with pitchforks and torches, obviously, because it's era appropriate. But Rennies are not. Which, to which be would appeal to them. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also like, it's only fair because they don't, they only have like swords and uh, maces and such. I mean, um, they don't go to a Renaissance fair. She just is in love with William Shakespeare. Like, I feel like Renaissance fairs are oh, taken from William Shakespeare. Oh, I oh, oh, I'm sorry. Are they not technically Rennies because they're William Shakespeare? Shakespeare is a gateway drug to being a Rennie. Okay, well, now you sound like Go Ask Alice. <laughs> <laughs> I just 
just don't I just don't like that the movie encourages... They're shakies, they're not Rennies yet, alright? You know, not all shakies grow up to be Rennies. Uh, I just don't like any movie normalizing Rennies uh, at this juncture. I've made a lot of jokes about Letters to Cleo, but they're actually a good band. I had a couple they of their albums and the coolest people that... And also they wrote, uh, the lead singer for Letters to Cleo wrote some of the songs uh, for Josie and the Pussycats. And I think yeah. sings the vocals. She does. Kay um, Hanley is yes. Josie. How so the she fuck rules. have we not done that movie? Uh, we need to at some point. Can we do it as and how have you not invited me to do that movie? <laughs> Liam, we will we'll save it for you when we do Josie and the Pussycats, which we will... There's other. There's one more very, very important thing musically we need to talk about. We we've done four movies this month, three of them that take place in the '90s. So let's just let's just set aside Easy A. You're not part of this party. You're a great movie. We all we really liked you, but you're not part of the '90s fancy high school. This is three for three that feature either a party or a dance led by a ska band <laughs> because <laughs> their prom. What is the name of that? For uh, Save Ferris is performing their prom. The ska band, as we know, Mighty Mighty Mastones is at the party for Clueless. They're they're taken, and she's all that is just a random band playing ska at their prom. Uh, everything's got trumpets. If you would have told me that three of these movies featured heavily featured ska bands that all the kids are dancing to, I would have said that you were lying. Just because. <laughs> I don't remember Scott being that big, and I had Mighty Mighty Boston's albums. Peter had real big fish albums, or Peter's brother who played in a ska band. Yeah, my, my, somehow my, uh, the influence of ska in my life is is untoward. Um, it's 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 deeply biased and uh, heavily weighted uh, in such a way that it cannot be considered. It's it is an outlier, I would say. But I think what what I'm starting. So I really don't think ska was that prevalent at this time. And what I'm starting to think is mm. the people that liked ska was movie producers, <laughs> because <laughs> I think I may be one of the only people I knew that had that Mighty Mighty Boston's album, the one with the impression that I get, where they're so scared that one person they knew once had to knock on wood because they were worried about something, and they hope they're never worried about something enough to have to hit wood. I don't understand the song. I hate it. Um, <laughs> but... And it's like, it's like, Aaron, how big was that fish? Real big. <laughs> it's a pun, though, dun, because dun, it's dun, like dun, there's dun. two reels. Uh, the Real Big Fish album that you made me listen to for Turn Don't the Radio Dare is better than, let's face it, the Mighty Mighty Boston's album from probably that same year. I never listened to a Save Ferris album. Liam, this is one of the biggest advantages for you for being young, besides that you're going <laughs> to live longer than most, for than either of us. Uh, mm. Ch- chances are, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Knock, knock wood, which apparently I can't say because the mighty might. I don't know. Well, so you know, it's so that here's my problem with that. It's not that. <laughs> let's let's get here's into the that problem really with quick. him living longer than you. No, the, the the what I meant with the he the refrain to that song is never had to never had to knock on wood. But I know somebody who had, and it makes me wonder if I could. Well, you knock on wood when there's something you're worried about that you don't want to happen. So he's saying that he knew someone once who was worried about something, and he's <laughs> wondering if he could ever be worried about something. Like, what the fuck does that mean, guy? Um, right, just to just to put this all in context and make you both cringe a little bit, I'm technically Gen Z. So, like, right now, this is all just like, woo, woo, 
Well, you know what that means. Game. That's actually terrible news for you because there's no way Scott doesn't come back around one more time. Oh, Jesus. And it's going to be Gen Z that embraces it. Maybe they keep oh, watching gosh. these movies and they're like, we should have saved Ferris. Yeah, just to save money now, go to a Goodwill, <laughs> get a fedora because the price of that fedora is going to skyrocket when Scott comes back. And you're going to need it, my friend. I am quite worried yeah. already. Get those. You're going to need to get some cargo shorts now while they're on deep, deep discount from wherever sells cargo shorts. Cabela's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the cargo company. The cargo yeah. company. Uh, it's it's all Samsonite. Com- I, I made this comment about cargo before cargo shorts before, um, and I'll make it again. Uh, it said, if Indiana Jones didn't need cargo shorts, you certainly don't. Well, he needed a, <laughs> but he needed a satchel, though. Yeah, carry a satchel. Satchels are cool. I have a, a laptop person. bag, which I use for everything. That's See? that's my... There you go. See? Indiana Jones vibes. <laughs> do you have a leather jacket? I don't. Um, I do I have I'm... a whip, though, but that's a whole other issue. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. If you could fit, hypothetically, a laptop into your shorts pocket, would you just do that? Uh, no, because it's insane. No, probably not. Why would you do that? <laughs> Go, I was just gonna say, like going off the ska, uh, it does have this movie does have my favorite trope to make fun of, which is white rustafarians. Oh yes. yeah, oh yeah. It was a dark they time. Successfully, in our they history. make fun of them better in this movie than they do in the parody, not another teen movie. Yeah, um, I will say there's. I'm just like looking at the very short page of notes that I took, which is mostly just like hearts around Heath Ledger's name. <laughs> yes, I am reading that right. Uh, a line that says Julia Style has hips and that they the word mind. hips is underlined in regards to the dance scene. Yep. Quotes and then just Alice and Janney's name underlined a few times. Who like may have been on set for six months and then like yeah. they forgot to film a third scene. <laughs> yeah, they have. She's well, gone. the thing is like there's an outtakes and the credits that like yes. there's a scene that is not in the rest of the movie that she is in this hallway having sex with the director who I read was in the movie cast himself in a small role as a teacher in the movie and then deleted all of those scenes. Uh, yeah, Allison Jenny rules. It should have been left in. We could have used yes. more jammy. Let's talk about let's the can't take my eyes off you scene uh, is awesome. the best. I love the it. Best like, scene. Absolutely love it. And it's one of those things that I think you see. When you're 15 or when you're younger, there's just a part of you where, like, you are getting almost all of your romantic gestures. I think Peter and I have talked about this for oh, the yeah. movies and TV. And, like, or just, like, things that you can say to express how you feel. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's, like, it's it's fake. It's just, like, it's the squid and the whale thing where Jesse Eisenberg kind of, like, steals Stairway to Heaven. And he's, like... <laughs> And he's like, well, yeah, but I felt I feel exactly how that song says. So if I I could have written it if I had thought of it first, because that <laughs> expresses how I feel. I think there is a little bit of that when you're younger with like where I don't think it's like evil or uh, manipulative, but just like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that says it way better than I ever could. Well, I'm I'm convinced that that scene is directly responsible for promposals today. <laughs> Probably. Oh, yeah. No, like, it, it, it's, it's just had, the it's idea had a, of, a whiplash effect on the culture. Yeah. For sure. The idea of, like, doing a huge public display of this is why I'm asking you out to prom. Yeah. That's, that, that's what this is. I do think that probably the first time I watched this, there was a part of me that was like, 
okay, well, how could I swing this from him? Like, like, how could I make this happen? Because mm-hmm. uh, this is a good romantic gesture that is 100% successful. It's right over the plate. And I and uh, it's so good. And Heath Ledger's so funny in it. And it's a great song to pick that I was hyper aware of because it's heavily featured in a movie that keeps coming up on this podcast or will next month. Uh 1996's Conspiracy Theory starring Mel Gibson, Julia Roberts, and Patrick Stewart. But that's like his trigger song in that movie. So I really liked that song. And so it was like, oh, cool, they're using a song that not many people know that I like. So yeah, obviously I never tried to make that happen, but I'm sure I'm not the only person who watched this and was like, that would be good. How could I... How could I do this? Yeah. So like, not to sound like Leonard Maltin here, but like, the too good to be true scene is is movie magic, which is a phrase I've never used mm-hmm. on the show because it's incredibly cheesy. But like the 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 idea is this: this is like something that like seems to ex- escape off of the screen and get into you and feed its its positive energy directly into you. It's yeah. just it, it's a fucking it's a fucking gas pump directly into you. And not to sound cheesy, but like it does make you want to, it's the sort of scene that fills you with that happy energy that life could be bigger than this energy. Because like, that's largely, that's especially right now, like we're in the middle of uh, the lockdown. Life feels very small and boring and life can feel very like uh, confining. And like, that's one of the, that's one of the strange benefits of movies is like movies are kind of a safe space to explore emotions. And like, yeah. and, and like the, the nice thing about the scene is that it either makes you want to go out in the world and do some grand big gesture. It makes you want to like go embarrass yourself to prove to, to prove that you, you love someone or makes you want to go be a better person out there. Or even if it doesn't make you want to do that, it at least makes you feel like I went on this journey with this guy who did that thing. You feel a little embarrassed at first. You feel a little embarrassed at the end. But like in the middle, it's just nothing but ecstatic joy because you've gotten over the embarrassment. You've gone on a little a mini journey with him. And like, yeah, it's cheesy as shit. But like that scene is movie magic. It's, there's a reason why that scene has been so parodied and so so remembered everybody from multiple generations anybody that saw this movie at the right age remembers that scene in clear detail and the the goofy sort of uh high kick dancing that he does and the way he's sort of improvising it because it was improvised like he the director was just like yeah like apparently Heath Ledger picked the song as well they picked something a little moodier and Heath Ledger was like that's not a romantic song and picked Frankie Valley like something very classic um and then the director was like all right I directed the two cops to chase after you after you know we got a certain number of intro shots and apparently Heath Ledger was bouncing around so much and he was so hard to catch that he like exhausted the shit out of the people that were chasing him and like that those sort of behind the scenes stories are kind of funny because like that's how you feel when you're watching the movie like yeah. you feel that sort of spontaneous in the moment energy like he's like i don't know how this is gonna go it might hit fail horribly she might hate me even more after this because i embarrassed her but it's worth a shot right yeah yeah it's also like he's you know dearly departed actor who his final role basically or his arguably his greatest accomplishment as an actor was what was his final completed role Yet, when you look at his entire career, he doesn't play the Joker in everything. I mean, no. 
you forget that he, the Joker has so overcome what you think about Heath Ledger that my brother walked in. I like specifically said, like, you have to watch the scene on the staircase where he sings, can't take my eyes off of you. I'm like, you're in the room. You now have to watch this scene start to finish. And he's like, that's so cool. Who's the actor? I'm like, that's Heath Ledger. And he was like, that's the Joker. Cause it just like, it doesn't compute that he, my is wife the watched same. the whole movie. Yeah. And didn't realize it was Heath Ledger. Like, yeah. And you do forget that he was funny, charming. Like, so Heath Ledger, like he, uh, talked uh, when he was, when he was alive, talked about that. He made a very conscious decision not to just keep making 10 things I hate about you until he was too old to be a high school actor that like, that's what he got. He got offered. And that's why he has like kind of these weird, not weird parts, but like he could have continued to mainline uh, these types of movies. And instead he's like playing one of Mel Gibson's son in the Patriot. And he's in that four feathers movie and he's doing a night's tale with Brian Hegelin, like these things that don't, some of them may make a little bit of sense, but he was really trying to work with bigger directors, different directors and different genres. Like he was making a very conscious decision, but to spread out and not specifically not be in teenage uh, movies. Uh, and you're right. Like Liam, like the Joker has overshadowed Heath Ledger, even though he has a lot of great performances, most notably probably in like this and obviously Brokeback mountain as well. Mm-hmm. But like, People do forget that when he was cast in the Joker, and I was very alive for it and very around for it. Everyone was like, are you fucking kidding? And I would love to be the person who was like, no, no, this is going to be good. But I, but I, as someone who liked 10 Things I Hate About You and, um, or loved 10 Things I Hate About You, and I don't think I'd seen Brokeback Mountain yet, um, I was like, he's going to play, uh, the Joker. I did love A Knight's Tale, um, mm-hmm. But like I was, I was as skeptical as anyone else. No one thought that was going to work, and it's just a testament to what a good actor he was. But you're a hundred percent right that the Joker was such an amazing performance because it was unexpected and it was different than the way that anyone else on screen had played the Joker. First and foremost, and second of all, was so different from the way that we had seen Heath Ledger be in almost any movie that he was in. So it is interesting that that like unique and one-of-a-kind performance that was different than everything Heath Ledger or Jokers or anyone else touch has become the thing that most people think about when they think about Heath Ledger when in most movies he was this like really good actor but also just like someone you wanted to hang out with and hug and you know have a couple beers with or or just because he was so affable and charming yeah I mean and I think I would love to know what kind of career path he'd go down if he had stayed, if he was still alive to that. Like, I feel I'd love to know, you know, I'm sure that he wouldn't be making superhero movies and he wouldn't be just doing like the same standard dramas. He'd be making interesting choices because he always made interesting choices as an actor. I honestly um, think he would go down. I'm not just saying this because they were, they were co-stars, but I think um, post Brokeback Mountain, Gyllenhaal has had a much more interesting and weird career. Mm-hmm. He's worked with like Bong Joon Ho, He's worked with like all the yeah. big sort of like auteur-y guys in the past, uh, in yeah. the past five ten years. And I do think that he would have had a that I think Ledger would have gone down a similar path because because pre that you know he's obviously in Donnie Darko, but then he's also in um, stuff like Bubble Boy, and then like. 
po- right after um right after Brokeback Mountain he's in like um like what was that weird like brothers something like you know he 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 had a trouble I think yeah. finding his career path what well, do you know what I'm talking brothers. about brothers just called brothers and mm-hmm. then he was in that weird cop movie too the end of the watch I think it was called yeah and yeah end of watch it's a cool movie Oh, David is that good? The guy who okay. made it's got, it's got Jared some, Leto Joker. It's it, it, it's got some problems, but it's executed wonderfully. And the, but I, the performances I feel like, in it are amazing. I feel like post-Enemy, he's just had a very interesting career, but it's definitely the career I could imagine for a Heath Ledger. Like, I could even picture Heath Ledger showing up on fucking, you know, that <laughs> a what's-his-name's comedy special. Oh, John oh, Mulaney's yes. comedy yeah. special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like... The, the the sort of like his willingness to bounce around and be like, well, this movie's not going to make any money, but I want to I want to chase this velvet buzzsaw down to the bottom. I want to see what happens here. Like I could I could see I could see um, Heath Ledger being that kind of actor because he was interested in uh, he was interested in finding weird roles. I mean, his his last role that he put any work into was uh, Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus and like. Mind you, the movie sucks. There's no way to tell what the movie actually would have been. Like, so he's really good in his parts, though. He's like, good in his, his part, part yeah. is a compelling movie. But, yeah. but like, he wasn't after he played the Joker. He wasn't like, I'm gonna sit around and wait for. <laughs> I know he he shot Parnassus before, but he wasn't like, all right, I got the Joker. I'm just gonna keep waiting around for more Joker roles. He's like, I want to see how what it's like to work with Terry Gilliam. This guy's insane. And like Terry Gilliam wasn't really making that many movies at the time. It was Brothers. They worked Grimm. together before. Yeah, they yeah. were Brothers, Brothers Grimm. Brothers Grimm secretly rules. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it and like that that I think Jake Gyllenhaal is probably a fair a fair sort of assessment. Um, Ethan Hawke is kind of who I just my brain went to. Kind of like yeah yeah, yeah. It, which has a similar vibe yeah. to Gyllenhaal, where it's like oh yeah, I'll just make like a weird movie with some strange director. I'll kind of like become pals with like link leader, some person. I'm like, yeah, this is who's yeah. going to be driving my career. And I love that. I think, I think he does a little bit less of the B movies that Hawk did too. But like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, but, th- but like he definitely stayed like, I don't know. You guys probably don't remember the order, which is a terrible movie from 2005 that Heath Ledger was in. But like, it was Brian Hengeland, right, who did A Knight's Tale. <laughs> so there definitely was like a he had that kind of like, well, I'll stick with this director. Like he wants to make another movie. I'm happy to work with him again. Type vibe that I think he gave. Uh, the last thing I'll mention too is that because this story just came out and it was, um, I think it's pretty consistent with things we heard. But like Jake Gyllenhaal just recently actually just told a story about. Uh, Heath Ledger that in 2007 they were supposed to present an Oscar together for something uh, best supporting actors best supporting actress whatever it was and then they got the script and it was them you know making jokes about their Brokeback Mountain characters and Heath Ledger refused to do it and then once he found out that was the angle they were going he then refused to even present at all he was like I'm not sending it back for rewrites I'm just not going to do it and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was saying that, like, he, he at the time he uh, he respected his friend's decision, but thought, like, come on, like, it's OK to make some jokes about like it's it's long enough. And like, it's it's just supposed to be fun, you know, that kind of thing. There's there's nothing. And he said it was only later that he realized, like, um, 
how important that was for that movie to continually be taken seriously because he's like, we were fighting a culture that was going out of their way to make this a gay cowboy joke movie. And Heath Ledger would refuse to joke about it, would never talk about it in, in a in a joking light and would only talk about it about how it was a serious performance and like stuff like that. And like that helped keep the integrity of that movie in a way that uh, Gyllenhaal was saying that, you know, now he understands how important that was to that movie and its legacy and the way it was perceived at, at that time. But um, that that he didn't realize it in, you know, 2006, 2007. Um, uh, and he was like thankful for his friend to stop something that could have been, uh, you know, hugely, hugely both hurtful to the community that likes the movie and just a million other things. So it was a story just like a week ago. I don't know if you guys got a chance to read it, but uh, yeah, extremely like so amazing. Like what kind of person, not only was he an amazing actor, he like every story is like, Oh yeah, he was an amazing person as well. Yeah. And it's amazing that Brokeback Mountain gets to stand as this like stoic icon of, of cinema history that like it didn't, Ang Lee didn't come back later and be like, I shouldn't have made that gay cowboy movie. And none of the stars made fun of it. And like all the cast and crew from the public appearance. Were I mean, like, are you sure all the stars have anyone monitored what Randy Quaid? Has yeah, done we, we, we've, we've chosen to media blackout Randy <laughs> Quaid um, just because he tells the truth too much. Um, also, because when he talks to the media, he's just talking to a brown paper bag in a garbage tin in Canada. <laughs> Dude, star. What is this? The star. Fuckers, star whackers, something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he got. He also didn't see the production because they told him that it was going to be like a small little indie movie, and ended up um, miraculously oh, making that's a shit right. ton yeah. of money. And I forgot was, like, that there are real for, Randy Quaid. Yeah, he didn't quite take scale, but he took something like pretty small for it. Whatever. Anyways, um, you guys knew this thing was going to be <laughs> yeah. this gay cowboy movie, Thanks, Randy. That that's horrifically tragic. Anyways, anybody that saw Brokeback Mountain and didn't immediately afterwards go like, "This isn't really a thing to joke about," like. This broke my heart for a week. Like, why, why Why? would you make a joke about that? Like, anybody that saw the movie didn't make jokes, I don't think. It was all just, like, fucking uh, either low-key or high-key homophobes. Uh, so, really quickly, we are running out of time. Uh, I got to talk about one more thing uh, that was my favorite part about uh, reading uh, what's happened to all the actors. Uh, so, Andrew Keegan who's in this movie. It's basically the last major thing he did. But he was also a very big part of my childhood. He was in a ton of movies. By a ton, I mean like two. But uh, <laughs> as a kid, it feels like a lot. He felt omnipresent, right? He was in uh, Camp Nowhere. He was in uh, every uh, TJF sitcom that I watched. Yeah, he was a full like house a few guy. Episodes. He's full house. He's on the step-by-step. Uh, and he was in Disney Adventures magazine, which most people don't know what I'm talking about, but he was like all over that magazine as well, which I used to read. And uh, so I was, but I was kind of like, oh, it's so funny that Andrew Keegan was in this movie. This is a pretty big movie. He was like pretty big before this. And then I don't remember seeing him in anything else. So I went to go look up what he was up to. And one thing he was up to between 2014 and 2017 was starting a cult. <laughs> um... That eventually got raided by the feds. Yeah, he once was a key gone, and now he will be gone. <laughs> uh, what a weird ending to that guy's 
Wait, what was he busted over again, Peter? Uh, I know yeah, you... so he was in sort of a uh, vaguely Hindu-inspired yoga cults, and it's not, it, without getting too much, without having too much information, right? Because it was shut down after three years. Um, it sounds like it was it was essentially just a a pyramid scheme, a yoga pyramid scheme. Um, I don't think there was like, <laughs> sexual abuse or anything, but the the funny detail um, here. Uh, is that they were what finally brought them down was a California, I think it was Board of Alcohol and Tobacco or whatever, um, especially the board that that monitors to make sure you have liquor licenses and all that, uh, shut them down for not having the right licenses to sell kombucha. Uh, because kombucha, all kombucha has some amount of alcohol, whether it's trace or uh, a, you know a, a sizable amount, and it'd be hard kombucha. Um, my guess is they violated some sort of regulation on what their kombucha could be. So literally he started a yoga cult and then got shut down by the state for selling hard kombucha to make cash. <laughs> oh, I, I, I have to get off of this. I need to go call my kombucha guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi. Yeah. Uh, at, at the very least, if you're, if your kombucha guy is Andrew Keaton, <laughs> call him and meet like empty those reserves because he should not be trusted with. Uh, a high school girl's heart or kombucha. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, he ran a cult for three years, um, which is. Who uh, among us has never? Yeah. Let let he uh, cast the first stone. <laughs> um, we support you. This is offic- officially a uh, Andrew Keegan worshiping podcast. Um, our relig- I'm not. Wait, I didn't sign on for that. Our religious. Wait, he's an asshole in this movie. Are, as far as I know, he's an asshole in real life. I don't know. What was uh? What was uh? What was it called? Like the full circle or something? It's called. Yeah, family, I'm not gonna sign circle. up to freak the king. Yeah, <laughs> called peanuts. Um, something like that. The, but yeah, he, he fucking he, he got in trouble for a little bit, and then it, it's funny reading like um, talking. What do they call like talking? What are the, uh, oral heads? Ah, shit, uh, oral, oral histories. histories. Like we were talking about earlier, reading oral histories of the time um, because there was uh, two years after that uh, there was whatever the twentieth anniversary of uh, Ten Things I Ten Things about, about You, yeah. And he he comments in it. And it's just funny reading those comments, uh, being informed by the fact that between the movie <laughs> and in 2019, he had started and shuttered a cult. <laughs> well, he didn't shutter it. <laughs> a cult was shuttered around him, let's say. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's important to uh, uh, take it as like your own action for your own sense of dignity and, and respect, right? Be like, oh, no, 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 the cops didn't shut us down. We decided... We reached the end of the road. Our teach, our teachings were there. Our teachings were there. <laughs> Do you think like Andrew Keegan was like, "Have we been selling this illegally?" <laughs> I'm shutting this down. Yeah, uh, it is interesting though that the his cult, much like a lot of America, flourished under the Obama administration, but uh, <laughs> was shut down under the Trump administration. So another another knock on our president, guys. I think he's not a great character. Not he shut guy. down Andrew Keegan's. Uh, kombucha cult. I was just gonna say if I can get one last thought about like the legacy of this cast in um, I never can stress enough how much I love that for two years after this for some reason Julia Stiles was typecast as a young woman in restaged uh, adaptation of in the modern day of Shakespeare because in 2000 she makes Hamlet, Hamlet with, with Ethan, Ethan Hawke Hawk. And then yeah. 2001, she makes O, which is an Othello adaptation. 
with, I'm looking it up, Makai Pfeiffer and Josh Hartnett. Directed it's by Tim Blake Nelson. Move, isn't it? So, and so have you, wait, hold on, Liam. Have you seen O? I have not. I'm going to blow your mind. Good movie. But do you know, do you remember who it's co-starring? I mean, Maca- Ma- besides Mackay Pfeiffer and Josh Hartnett? Yeah. Andrew Keegan? Andrew Keegan. <laughs> That's He's an O? Andrew Keegan is an O. Oh. That was that was the expression on his face when the cops busted his <laughs> Oh. We're going to we're going to have to do another month, but it's going to be all the ones that we didn't want to do this month, like she's the man and oh. And no, I think did... we're I think we're good. I think there's <laughs> other months, Peter. <laughs> uh anyways, my final thoughts on 10 things I hate about you. Uh yeah, this uh, perfect movie to end the month on again. This is we we were talking about and she's all that like it's crazy that this movie came out the same year as She's All That, and She's All Ma- That made double the box office of this movie, and one is kind of a footnote and a joke, and one I think still, not only people look back fondly, uh, I think you, Peter, you were even talking to your brother and your sister about that this this movie held up really well for you on rewatch, but also, uh, as we're discovering from Liam, like, a whole new generation of people are watching it, and my daughter who watched about the first hour of it just because while she was uh in between doing other stuff uh because uh, my wife and i were watching it she also like there was enough going on here that you know she's she's almost six but she was she was interested and i and i i'm glad it's on disney plus uh just because i feel like that is a way for a lot of people to discover it or rediscover it and um it's definitely a movie from this pack of not just not just fancy high school adaptations, but just 90s high school, you know, romantic comedies that definitely deserves to continue to be watched and rewatched over and over like a lot of the um, rem- uh, well-remembered 80s like John Hughes type movies. This this really is, I think, probably the best of this from the 90s with Clueless was very, very, very close right behind. Yeah, Liam, do you have any final thoughts on 10 Things I Hate About You? I don't know. I put like on my Instagram that I was watching this movie and specifically the interaction that the first interaction that uh, Alice and Janney and Julia Stiles have, which <laughs> is involves uh, Stiles saying, I still maintain that he kicked himself in the balls. And uh, Alice and Janney, I think, well, no, that that's the scene where she says, well, cat, and then reveals that her coffee mug has a cat on it and then purrs at julia styles (laughs) and so many people just responded to me like i'm now going to rewatch this movie because i think everyone's (laughs) just like oh yeah it's been too long um but it's a perfect teen comedy it's basically like if i could show this genre to people and like say this is the perfect example of i would say this is the perfect example of like the teen comedy because it's just so much fun and like you said, you could show it to audiences of pretty much any age, and it plays well, and it's aged incredibly. We already mentioned another movie that I'd throw it in the same conversation with, which is uh, Josie and the Pussycats, where yeah. you kind of look at it today and you're like, how did this get made back then, and how is it still relevant today? Um, but now I'm probably just going to like listen to late 90s punk <laughs> like feminine punk music for the rest of my night 
Yeah, I mean this the soundtrack will help you. It's got two letters to Cleo songs. Yeah, yeah, it's got some good Riot Girl tracks. Like they even reference Riot Girl movement. Like it's a it's a Seattle movie too, which is funny because it doesn't look like Seattle at all because it's it's uh, gorgeous and sunny and clear skies. Like it's a, <laughs> it's a very it's a Seattle movie that doesn't feel like a Seattle movie. But just just to just jump off of your both of your thoughts, um, yeah, this is I think it's definitely the best movie we did this month and definitely the best rom-com of the uh, like teen rom-com in the 90s uh probably better than most of the teen rom-coms that john hughes made maybe better than all of them um so in my mind like it surpasses what came before it um none of the imitators have ever touched the same energy um it has uh julia styles and it is actually has like she's a she's actually cool like yeah, in so many of these movies, they try and make these. They try and create out of whole cloth these sort of um, inspiring, unique, independent women. But like none of them had a the script, which is actually really intelligent and sensitive, and explains why people push out other people, and it's often for very good reasons. Um, and none of them had Julia Stiles, who was like a force to be reckoned with, even at seventeen. Like just it's funny watching the movie because like there's certain aspects of julia styles character that very much remind me of like my wife and what i like about my wife um (laughs) like one of the the many things is is just that's that sense of fierce independence and like inability to just um put on a that not inability that like sort of um that that sense of independent spirit that like uh doesn't really particularly care if like your energy doesn't match hers like she's still she's still her she doesn't have to like pretend and get all fake um but it doesn't have that movie that movie actor quality thing that happens with she's all that where it's like oh you're donning like a parody of an independent person and and so for that like i just love the movie even more because i there's so much humanity in it where I can relate different people that I, I know and love to different people in the movie. Um, and uh, yeah, like that we, we already talked up how good Heath Ledger is in this movie and how sweet so much of the movie is. But um, the last thing I'll say is, is that the movie has a genuine sense of authenticity to it to me even though it's it all these high school movies are very heightened like just just the scene just to compare it to other movies this month let's say she's all that um <laughs> there's a the, this and she's all that there's a scene of matthew lillard going crazy and d- doing this big funky uh 70s dance and everyone at the party is just giving him this like shitty stink eye even though they're all supposed to be loaded um and he's dancing like hardcore and he's doing the worm and shit like and it's very fun to watch and everyone's looking at him like a crazy person. I'm like, well, what kind of friends do you hang out with that no one thinks this is funny? Either to laugh with you or laugh at you. <laughs> or to just join in the dancing. With us, when Julia Stiles goes crazy, like, yeah, some people are just like, oh, it's, yeah, it's it's hot that she's doing this dance. And some people are like, oh, yeah, like, it's, uh, it's crazy to see this woman that never acts this way act this way. But uh for a lot of people they're just cheering her on because it's like hell yeah she joined the party and that's how high school kids actually act is they're like well yeah like that kid that kid was so weird last year but like dude did you see what he did at blah 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 blah? he did the blah 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 like that sense of authenticity throughout the comic sort of big big broadness of the movie is what makes it truly a classic yeah this was a great month liam thank you so much again for joining us we will we will hold Josie and the Pussycats for you, because we will definitely do that movie. 
But depending on when we do it, we may have you back before Please that. Do. But in the meantime, uh, do you have anything to promote? Um, I'm not sure because, you know, again, as of right now, the world's interesting. I got an email earlier today that uh, I am still technically on the press list for Tribeca Film Festival. Um, despite Tribeca Film Festival no longer existing. So, so you can of, go. I, I, I will be uh, reviewing movies that no one else can see because they're just doing online screeners and stuff like that. So uh, if you're looking to see what I do, follow me on Twitter at Haber, H-A-B-E-R, 345. That might just be the easiest way to see what I'm up to in the world. Um, but yeah, hopefully by the time this posts, uh, I can do things with my life again and go outdoors and not wear masks. <laughs> Well, and if you do have any, uh, by the time this does come out, uh, hopefully we have all that. But also, if you have anything to promote, look in the show notes. Anything that uh, Liam's uh, recently done, we'll have uh, there. If not, yeah, go follow him on Twitter. He's a good follow. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Yeah. So, uh, Peter, we're moving on to June, which is a new month, which is a month that uh, was definitely a little more you than me, even though I'm excited about all the movies. I'm not sure if it was uh, inspired. We actually rushed it ahead. We were going to do something else for June. Um, I'm not sure if the concept of a bunch of people locked in one space was inspired <laughs> by quarantine, but uh, that it, it definitely feels like this moved pretty quickly in coming together. Um, and I honestly don't know the answer. Was it like, hey, I'm locked in a house. You know who else was locked in a house? Anton Yelchin from Green Room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Partially. Uh, so uh, originally I was like, oh, you know, I mean, this this is crazy. We're, we're locked in the house. We're recording all these these episodes. We should do a month to sort of recognize that fact. And I was like, yeah, it, it absolutely feels inappropriate and on the nose to do like contagion and uh, Andromeda strain and shit like that just doesn't feel right. Um, it also doesn't really feel right to do like a big a bunch of zombie movies. Like right now there's a bunch of zombie games that were like promoting themselves um that i'm just like yeah that's that's just also doesn't feel right like actual people are dying um but siege movies it's like it's it's capturing the idea that you're trapped in your house but it's more abstract because hopefully you don't have people standing outside your house with guns keeping you inside um yeah although we do recognize yeah we do recognize that <laughs> this month may get pulled it may be a lost month if things really go down the tubes uh from when we're recording this in mid-april to when the month comes out in june uh but yeah it's siege month under siege month uh not featuring the movie under siege under the siege <laughs> uh, but we're doing something a little different we're doing it chronologically to kind of because there's actually like not that many examples of siege movies like there's there's movies that feature people at siege but even the movie the siege really isn't a siege movie uh they shut down a whole city like they're not confined to a space um so we're going to talk a little bit about the evolution. These are definitely movies that kind of inspire each other. And it ends with a recent one, which we rarely get a chance to do. And one that, as of this recording, I don't think anyone has seen. But nope. uh, the first two we're doing, we're starting with kind of the one that inspired the next one, which is uh, Howard Hawks' Rio Bravo, which is just uh, Aaron and Peter Joint. It'll also give us a chance. To, we've never done a true Western. The only one we've ever done is Maverick somehow. Um, and <laughs> so we get to very on brand for like holding off the classics. I know we should have. We really should have done a Leon month by now. But uh, much like Maverick, we get to talk about a different monster uh, instead of Mel Gibson. We'll be talking about uh, John Wayne. 
Uh, and then we'll be talking about the uh, going back to I think the most covered director on this show, who was inspired by Rio Bravo uh, in a way that we'll kind of talk about uh, was was surprising about how not inspired it felt like, but uh, to make Assault on Precinct Thirteen. So John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct Thirteen, and we are joined by uh, Ryan Bolin. Who uh, Peter's uh, best friend, much to my chagrin, and a multi-time <laughs> guest on this show. Um, not because I want to be his best friends; I just want Peter to have no friends. Um, and then Peter, who are we wrapping up? The we have two more. Yes, uh, my brother-in-law Bill. Uh, <laughs> you've heard him on. Uh, he was on. Uh, 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 not Edge of Tomorrow. What do we have him on in February? Ro- Road Warrior. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill, who you've heard on Road Warrior, and then before that, he he was in December for the uh, Christmas Prince trilogy. So far trilogy. Probably going to be a quadrilogy now. Um, and then um, he's going to be on for Green Room. And then my buddy Sohil is going to be joining us for VFW. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be an exciting end of the month. We're going to be basically going from 1958 to two uh 19 technically 2020 even though it was made then yeah so oh, i thought it was released last year but yeah so from 1958 to today for siege movies so that'll be fun and then we're excited for july august we uh last year we did a double month for the first time ever in july and august and we're gonna do uh the same thing so stay right here on this channel at all times which is a podcast feed but never leave it to hear <laughs> what that is uh other than that, Liam, Peter, it's been great. It's been a really fun month. And uh, now we get to go back to movies where people get stabbed. Woo! <laughs> you know, we took a Someone does get shot with an arrow in this. That's true. <laughs> Good gag. Good and gag. shot through the heart. A little Damn. Bit. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, I have 10 things I love about both of you, and it was great being on the podcast. And good night. Who gets six and who gets four? Uh, it's actually seven three, Liam. Shit. Oh, I'm so whelmed because I'm in Europe right now. <laughs> Good night. Night. Hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show.
show, we truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>